0: You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. This is, uh, we are wrapping up the book of Ephesians, which is kind of a sad thing, isn't it? We've really enjoyed sitting under this teaching. Uh, I'm sad and, um, but we got more Bible to come, so it's not like there's not more uh, to journey into, and that's exciting too. In fact, although we're going to wrap up the book of Ephesians today, uh, Craig's going to be back next week. Now, next week is Rise Up Weekend. We're going to have a lot of students joining us, and he's going to uh, preach uh, an epilogue message from the book of Revelation about the Ephesian church. So it is kind of, uh, you're getting two, two more messages, but today we are finishing up the book, and we are in Ephesians 6, and we're going to look at the last several verses. Verses 10 through 23. And I titled today's message, Living Strong While Under Attack. Living Strong While Under Attack. I believe the Lord wants to sound two alarms for us today. And the first alarm is that every Christian is under some form of spiritual attack. I don't mean just that spiritual attack is coming. Now, there might be a greater measure of spiritual attack that's kind of coming in the future or something in your your life personally or something that was in the past. I mean, like, right now. I'm talking about in this very moment, every Christian is under some form of spiritual attack. That's the first alarm I think the Lord wants to sound today. The other alarm that's just as loud, if not louder, Is that God has provided everything that we need to survive but then also thrive under that spiritual attack. He's provided everything that we need to resist that spiritual attack and not just kind of get through it but to experience life and strength under it. That's really good news. And so the question really before us today is how can I Live strong in the Lord when I'm facing spiritual attack. How can I do that? Because that's what the passage is going to call us to. It's going to call us to be strong in the Lord. And then it's going to tell us exactly how to do that. There are three things I believe this entire passage teaches us that God wants us to grab hold of today in order to live strong when we're facing spiritual attack. The first one is to put on something. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time, so don't get nervous. The second thing is to pray in something. And the third is to love with something. Put on, pray in, love with. So let's look at the very first thing that we're called to do, and it starts in verse 10. And the command is to put on the whole armor of God. Here's how he starts, finally, and that's a word to say, this is the last thing I want you to remember as this letter's being written to the Ephesian churches. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. That's kind of the big idea that he wants to leave with the Ephesian church. And then in verses 11 and following, he just describes over and over how to do that very thing, how to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of not your might, but in His. And he says in verse 11, this is where it starts. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes. That's the manipulation, that's the planning, that's the plotting of the devil. Our enemy, the liar. Verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle, that's battle language, against flesh and blood. But notice, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil, In the heavenly places. Do you notice how he stacks that language on top of each other? He describes such opposition like rulers and authorities, powers, the present darkness, describes this age as darkness. He says spiritual forces of evil are coming against us from the heavenly places. So, what does this mean to describe such opposition? towards us what how do we think about this it's quite an illustration it's quite a metaphor to describe life right well here's what it doesn't mean It doesn't mean that the devil is equal to God or that the devil is somehow more powerful than God. We know this from Ephesians chapter 1. Do you remember when Paul says the immeasurable greatness of his powers towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion? These powers far above all of that and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is connected to all believers in Christ. And Christ is over and above all of those other rulers and authorities and powers and dominion. So if this was the first time that you ever read this verse, and I believe we have the, verse, the verses, and we'll try to get them on the screen behind me. But that would be the first time you ever read that, you might think that these, these powers are somehow equal to God or, or more powerful than God at times. And that's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. It's not what God is telling us today. That's, that's for sure not it. The other thing that this isn't telling us in terms of the, the darkness all around us is that all sin is owing to spiritual attack. Years and years ago when I was in seminary, I was invited by a friend of mine to go be kind of a leader on their sort of Rise Up Weekend uh, conference. And the conference was all about spiritual warfare. And so we get there to the conference, and the speaker at the conference starts uh, telling us about the powers of the darkness against us and kind of reads this verse and tells us all the things that we need to do to resist The demonic in our lives, okay? And he would say things like, you know, when you enter a room, no matter what room it is, you need to cast the demons out of that room. You need to just kind of walk into a room and say, hello, if there's any demons in this place, you need to get on out of here in Jesus' name. And then when you go sit down, you need to find your seat and say, if there's any demons kind of hanging out this seat, you need to get out in Jesus' name, and on and on. That you're supposed to kind of live your life this way, which I don't know if that uh, would be you, but left students absolutely freaked out about the demonic all around them in this present darkness. It made it as if those spiritual forces of evil were more powerful than God around us. So they were totally freaked out. They were also incredibly despairing. Do you know why? Because at this same conference, he was telling students that uh, because you're a new creation in Christ... Right, Every sin that you commit is probably because you've opened up your life to a demon. Again, they're absolutely freaked out by that concept and despairing. So we actually had to leave. We had to leave and then teach students and adults the difference between the already that the kingdom has broken into this world and the not yet. We had to walk them through that and to grab hold of both of those realities. There is an already. Colossians 2 says that through the cross, Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame. Notice the, there is a triumphing over them in him. He has put those powers to open shame through the cross. The penalty and the power of sin is broken. Grab hold of the already. But there's also a not yet. The presence of sin remains. Paul, who is writing this, Paul, who is glorying in the idea that the penalty and power has been broken, also says in Romans 7, 7 rather, that although I want to do good, evil is right there with me and must be resisted. My flesh is My sin nature, the indwelling sin that remains, I have to war against. I've got to resist because that's where the enemy attacks. That's what he is leveraging in our lives. We don't need to go around walking into rooms and casting out demons. We need to recognize where and how he attacks. Well, here's what it does mean. There isn't already the kingdoms broken into this present darkness, but there's also this element of a, Not yet, that is significant. It's so significant that in 1 John, we are told that we are from God. And yet, for those who are not in Christ, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So that language, lying in the power of the evil one, does map on to the not yet that's being described here in Ephesians chapter 6. This whole idea of like living in the, the power of the evil one, that, that our family members can be in that state. Our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers can be in that. And when we, when we escape from that power, from that dominion, when we're transferred from one kingdom to another kingdom, there can be sort of a, a, an amazing reality that I'm forgiven of all of my sins and I'm no longer just helpless to this sin that's been so much a part of my life. But there can also be this shock moment, especially for new Christians, when they are suddenly uh, experiencing attack from the enemy. And they confuse that with failure. If you're a new Christian, maybe this has been alarming to you. Things that uh, didn't seem to come against you now are coming against you. In the movie, the incredible movie, The Matrix, uh, which I'm a Gen Xer, so I guess I just always have to bring up The Matrix, the original one. I didn't watch the other ones, okay? Uh, I don't know anything about those other ones. I just, the original, okay? Uh, Neo takes the red pill of truth, remember, and he wakes up from his unconscious sleep. He's been a part of the machinery. He's been a part of the matrix. And the matrix was comfortable with him being just a part of the system. But when he wakes up and he is set free from its control, he becomes the enemy now. And that's exactly how it is in the Christian life. When you are set free from the dominion of the devil, now you're going to experience attack. The, the devil's going to come against you, okay? Okay. Well, how does he do this? How does he war against us in this present darkness? Well, think of it as two things. Think of it as air war and think of it as ground war because the Bible describes both. In Ephesians 2, remember, we read this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were asleep. You were unconscious. You were alive to sin, but you were dead to God in which you once walked following, notice, the course of the world. It's just the flow of the world following the prince of the power of the air. That's really specific language. It's just the the devil in that verse is described as the prince of the power of the air. It's the course of the world, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, stuck in this dominion, stuck in this darkness. This this course of this world, the spirit of the air are are things that are just kind of all around us. It doesn't come from just one source. We'd like to Think of that way. We like to try to protect ourselves or protect our kids from just this one source. But it's something we can't just run from because it's everywhere. It's, it's, it's things like cultural acceptance and normalizing of evil. That's the course of this world. It's unjust systems and structures. It's where you find yourself in a context of acceptable racism. It's where you normalize evil, like objectifying people, like a porn culture. It's like blurring the boundary lines that God has established. Lines like gender and marriage, and it just gets foggy, hazy. That's the prince of the power of the air. That's the world. And that's why we're told in 1 John, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God. God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Okay, so there's that sort of air war against not just one source. It's just all around us. It's inescapable. But there is also this ground war strategy. This is where you've got sort of this Hand-to-hand combat at times it can feel like. And uh, the way the devil does this is through temptation, accusation, and condemnation. The first strategy is to tempt us. And we see that in the very third chapter of Genesis where the devil shows up and he shows up as a crafty serpent. More crafty than any of the beasts of the field. And do you remember what the serpent said to tempt them he attacks the very words of god he says did god actually say did god actually say some of you actually heard that temptation this week did god actually say no did god actually mean that that's the first way that he tempts did he say you shall not eat of any of the tree of the garden and eve responds well we're not we just can't eat of the knowledge of evil he doesn't want us to know that but all the other trees we could and then he attacks the character of God. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And God doesn't want you to have what he has. He doesn't want to have you to have the powers that he has, and he is holding out on you. Don't believe what he says. Don't believe his character. And that's how he tempts us. In 2 Corinthians, we're told that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Do you know what that means? An angel is like a messenger. Light is truth. He comes at us like a messenger of truth, but he's not bringing truth. He's bringing a lie. That's what he does. Satan brings a lie to us disguised as truth. He's very crafty, he's a master deceiver. Because he knows how to do that. And if you don't think that he's doing that in your life, you, you and I, we need to wake up because he was bold enough to do it to Jesus. Do you remember the story where in Matthew it says, the devil took Jesus to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you are the son of God, do you hear the same echo from Genesis chapter three? got to actually say, if you are, this doubting, causing doubt, if you are the Son of God, he's testing him, then do this. Throw yourself down. If you're the Son of God, commit suicide. Throw yourself down for, or tempted anyway, for, and he quotes the Bible. Psalm 19, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. He is quoting the Bible to Jesus, trying to get Jesus to do something that is self-harming. He's trying to tempt Jesus both to doubt and to self-destruction. And that's how temptation comes to you and me. Doubt the character of God. God seems to not listen to you. He's probably never listened to you. God's holding something good from you in this. He always has. He always will. And then he's tempting us to some kind of self-destructive behavior. Self-harm, self-hurting, self-murder. It's literally what he's... Boldly trying to get Jesus to do. Hurt yourself so you feel something, he'll say. Nobody else is feeling anything for you. God's not feeling anything for you, and you're not feeling anything either. So hurt yourself. He will say literally, kill yourself and you'll make everyone happy. You're the problem in everybody's lives around you. And your death will make everybody happy. That temptation, and don't think for a second he's not coming at some people in here with that kind of stuff. Doubt the character of God, self-destruct. That's the kind of temptation that he brings to us. And that's just a couple of illustrations. There's a lot more. So he tempts us, but then he accuses us When we give in to sin, he accuses. He points the finger. He's the greatest prosecuting attorney in the world. Revelation 12 says the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. So when we sin, he points the finger and says, look at what you did. This could be a big sin, a small sin. What does it matter? Look at what you did. I knew you were going to do it. You knew you were going to do it. Look at what you did. And that accusing finger isn't just something that we did 20 minutes ago. It could be something we did 20 years ago, and that finger still remains. He will t- he'll pick a time to point the finger and accuse and say, look at what you did. Look at what you did. And he'll just keep pointing that finger. And, uh, and then after he points the finger in accusation, then comes the condemnation. Look at what you did. And now this is what you'll always be. John 10, Jesus says the thief comes only. And he uses hyperbolic language there. He only comes to steal and kill and destroy. And he says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Do you know why he uses that that kind of language? It's because that's how the devil comes to us. In hyperbole, always, never, that kind of stuff. That's what a hyperbole is. He'll come to us. You, You always screw up. Always. You'll never get better. Your marriage will never get better. Your finances, it'll never get better. Your kid, completely hopeless. This habit, you'll never break it, ever. God will never accept you truly. Condemnation. And so then the cycle repeats itself. When we give in to the lies of condemnation, he'll bring back temptation. So because you're never going to get better, then why don't you just give in to this again? And thus the cycle just keeps on going. And we've, listen, all experienced that. Be honest. We have all. We need to get honest here. We have all experienced this kind of resistance, this kind of ground war that has come at us. Okay, so that's the kind of present darkness that you and I are experiencing. There's this air war, there's this ground war, and it's significant. But hear this today. That is all he's got. And if we are alert to that, we know how to resist that darkness. So what are we to do? Well, verse 13 tells us what to do. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So that you may be able to stand withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. That belt of truth is the truth that surrounds you. The, The truth that holds the sword of the Spirit. And then he says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's the shield that protects our hearts. Verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That's like footing. That's like boots able to find solid ground in slippery places. And then in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The assumption here is that flaming darts are being tossed at us all the time. It's not like, well, just from 2 to 3 in the afternoon, that's when you're supposed to put on the, the shield. Actually, it's all the time. From sunup to sundown, take up the shield of faith because the flaming darts come at us of the evil one. Verse 17, not just that, take the helmet of salvation. That's like taking your thoughts captive. That's protecting your mind. What comes in your mind, what goes on in your mind, because the devil likes to play fast and loose. With us, If we don't take our thoughts captive. And then take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're told in other places that the sword is sharper than any two-edged sword in the world, discerning the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So we're told to armor up. Every Christian is called to armor up and to consider the fact that we're under attack. Flaming darts are coming at us tomorrow, today, when you're watching the Super Bowl today. When we watch the Bengals win, flaming darts are coming at us. Okay? They are. They're just there. Just be ready. Doesn't mean you don't enjoy the the dip and you're not enjoying the game. It's just, it's coming. It's always there. That's how the war is waged against us. And we're told in Isaiah 59, and I'll read it in a second, that this armor that we're called to pick up isn't like our armor. It's actually the armor of the Messiah King that's described in that chapter. It's not like, well, we've got this customized armor that we create for ourselves or any of that stuff. This is God's armor that has been freely given to us through Jesus himself. It's his armor Given to us. Well, what's involved in taking up this armor from this passage? Well, a few things. Let's just practically think about this. We've got to adjust our expectations. Man, when I was, when I was a teenager, I got really into uh, Jimmy Buffett. You may know who that is, a few of you. <laughs> He has made, this guy has made millions off of songs like Cheeseburger in Paradise, okay? Still like some Jimmy Buffett songs, right? Not all, but like some of them. And uh, But the, the appeal with all that stuff aren't those songs. It's this laid-back island lifestyle, isn't it? That's what that's the appeal. That's sort of the, the Parrothead deal is this laid-back island lifestyle. Listen, you can't have—now, we go on vacations, and there's reprieve, and there's come and getaway and all that kind of stuff, but there is no sort of laid-back island lifestyle if you're reading Ephesians 6 the way that we're supposed to. We're to adjust our expectations. If you join the Navy SEALs, you know what you're going to hear from them? Here's some phrases. Well, I'll just give you one. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. If you don't get comfortable being uncomfortable, you're ringing the bell really quick as a Navy SEAL. Why? Because it's painful. It's hard. There's going to be a lot of uncomfortable moments. And we've, we've got to realize this. We've got to grow up and realize and adjust our expectations we're told in first peter friends don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you i mean in the west one fiery dart and we are shocked what what is happening to me we are surprised this isn't supposed to happen My life's supposed to be this this island dream, you know? No, it's not. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Adjust your expectations. Armor up. One of the the best things that you could do starting this week is to armor up. And you'll be surprised at how much much more peaceful that your life is. When you expect the hits, there's going to be some hits. Let's expect them. Number two, know your weaknesses. That's why he says the whole armor, not just a piece of the armor— Every Christian needs the whole armor of God because we're told in 1 Peter again, we're to be sober-minded, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, roaring in hunger, looking around, looking for ways to attack us, seeking someone to devour trying to capitalize on weaknesses in us. He is not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He doesn't, he's not all-powerful or any of that stuff, but he will attack us where potentially we've sinned in the past, where we have uh, experienced shame in the past, where we have experienced fear or something like that, where we are afraid about something in the future. He will provoke us in that way and come at us in a Ground war kind of way like that, and we've just got to know that about ourselves and and armor up all the way in the truth, and then to stand in it. You notice that three times withstand in the evil day. That's sometimes the, the strongest weak thing we can do is just to stand, withstand, and having done all. In other words, you've exhausted all your resources. You've called all the people that you can to pray. You have read the scriptures. You know what you're to do after you've done all to stand firm. That's the second time he says it. And then he says, verse 14, stand, therefore. Stand, 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 stand. It kind of echoes what happens if we don't stand from Ephesians 4. We become children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. That's the Prince of the air, just making that wave go back and forth. Human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. Those are the waves that will carry us around if we do not stand firm in that surf. Notice that standing firm doesn't mean passivity. Having done all, there's actions that we are to take. Standing doesn't mean that you've not been running in the wrong direction. Man, Satan loves to do this. You've all experienced this. You've already gone this far, Satan will say, so just go further. You've all heard that. Whether it was a lie, whether it was binging on something, whether it was anger, whether it was porn, whatever it is, you've done this, you've done this, so just keep on going. Just keep going. So you're running in the wrong direction. You need to stand. You need to stop. The, the, the word here is to, okay, so you have been running, but stop. Stop running. Stop and stand firm, surrounded by truth. God gives us grace to stop and stand still. When I was a kid, I grew up in a small town, and I would see these adults, these older adults, going out in the morning on their walks, you know, and they would always carry a large stick. And I did not understand what's with the stick. What's that all about? Is that like some extra exercise thing? Like, is it a weight, you know, can't you just grab some weights or something? I was just always confused why all the older people in my town were walking around with sticks. Until I went for a run one time in my town, which had no leash laws or fence laws for all the angry dogs in the town. And I learned really quickly, I learned it the hard way because I was like on this run down this rural street and nobody's around and this house is way off in the background. And I see these two huge dogs just, they see me and they start barking and they start tearing after me as fast as they can. And it was so far away, I think, Well, they're going to stop any second now, right? And I I stop. I slow down my run and I say, they're not stopping. They're not stopping at all. So I start start running the other way. If I start running the other way, then for sure they're going to be, okay, we accomplished our job. The, the bad guy's going away, and they'll, they'll leave. They kept running. They kept charging after me. They kept running as fast as they could. And then I'm running as fast as I can, and I was already tired, but I'm now sprinting because these dogs are chasing after me. And I learned that day the power of the stick that I didn't have. And I also learned that older people are wise and smart, and young people are dumb And I learned that, that you, there are times where you got to stop running and you got to stand your ground and turn around and face it down. And the dogs, when you do that, they, they'll actually, oh, the most ferocious dogs, when you stop and you stand with a stick, will back down. And some of us need to hear that. You need to do that. You're running from something, some shame, some fear. Some constant way that you've sinned. You need to stop running. You need to stand your ground. You need to stare the angry dog down. And you need to stare it down with a stick. We're told in James 4, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you run, he will keep running. It will only empower him like an angry dog. But if you stand your ground and you resist, he will flee. He will flee. I I think there's spiritual warfare happening right now because the devil doesn't want some people to believe that truth. That's from James 4, 7. You need to go home and look that up and memorize that and take that with you. Resist. And he will. So how are you being attacked in your own life? Are you aware that you're being attacked? Where do you need more armor? Where do you need to stop running? And where do you need to stand firm? These last two things are are much, much shorter, but the next thing that we are called to do in this passage is to pray in something. Remember to pray in the Spirit. Put on the whole armor of God, and then there's an action that we're to take. We don't, just, we don't just stand, we do something as we're standing. Verse 18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This, there's this call to pray all the time with all kinds of prayers and requests. That's what a supplication in. it's It's a request. It's just, it's just coming to God with everything, all that we are burdened by, all that our friends are burdened by, all that we, we can't change in our lives, everything that we are tempted by, everything we're accused by, everything that we are tempted towards condemnation in, we are to pray at all times, bringing all of that to the Lord. But what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? What does that mean? Well, we're told in Romans 8.26 that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is really good news because one of the ways that we can feel weak is in our prayer. How do I pray? Well, the Spirit helps us in that. For we do not know what to, how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit helps us pray. And this is really good news. What that means is that we, to pray in the Spirit, means that we pray depending on and inviting the help from the Holy Spirit to pray. It's just a, a, it's really just a pause of saying, Holy Spirit, help me pray. I'm depending upon you to ask for the things I'm supposed to, to communicate the, the things that I ought to be asking for. It's it's a dependence upon God in prayer and through prayer. If you don't really know where to start with that, you could pray something like, Lord, burden my heart with what burdens your heart. Burden me with what burdens you. John Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he says, he says, life is war. He says, that's not all it is. That's a helpful sentence. It's not all it is, but it is always that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. That's what we did like 15 minutes ago. It's not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. So we need to pray. Uh, in our pastor's meetings, we'll often get to these moments where we're just working through some some issue and there's lots of different ideas and thoughts. And But then sometimes we'll hit this impasse and we don't, we don't know the solution to that. We don't know the answer to that. We don't know what to do with that. And Pastor Bob always says something super profound in those moments. And here's what he has said. I'm, he always has some, some, some uh, phrase that is... Uh, Quotable, you know, most quotable person I've ever met. But he uh, he'll he'll say something like, and he has said this more than one occasion, and it stuck to me. And it's this: he is, he says, uh, "We need to pray. Here's why: things happen when we pray that don't happen when we don't. <laughs> it's that is true. Things happen when we pray that don't happen when we don't. So we pray." And that's how Paul prayed. Paul asks for prayer. Look at verse 19. He says, also pray for me. Now, the apostle Paul is writing scripture. The Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write the mysteries of the gospel. And yet he asks for prayer just like everybody else. And pray for me that, the, the wo- that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains. In other words, I'm weak and I need the Lord that I may declare it boldly, he says, as I ought to speak. Paul needed boldness. And if Paul needed boldness to adequately communicate the gospel, we do too. He's saying, I'm trying to share the gospel with this new prison guard and I have no idea what to say. I need help. I need boldness. That's what we need more than anything. We need to call upon God, to give us boldness in all of our areas of life. So we need to pray in the Spirit, asking for His help, asking for His dependence, we're told. And then we're we're called to love with faith. Love with faith. Uh, Verse 21 says this, So that you also may know how I'm doing and what I'm doing. Tychicus The beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. So remember, he just said, I'm in chains. He's in Rome, thousands of miles away from the Ephesian churches. Tychicus is bringing the letter from Paul. And he's going to fill in the details about what Paul's up to, what what he's doing in prison, how he's feeling, all that kind of stuff. Even points about this letter. He might have told Tychicus, hey, when we talk about this, remind them about this. And so he's going to tell you everything that you have questions about. So he's sort of this unsung cross-cultural missionary bringing the letter that uh, often gets forgotten about. But missions don't exist without unsung heroes like Tychicus. He says in verse 22, I've sent him to you for this purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. That's what Uh, That's one aspect of loving with faith, loving the people around us. Tychicus had never met the Ephesian church. He didn't know how he'd be received. He didn't know if he would be considered like an outcast. If you know anything about Colossians, he's actually got a runaway slave. who's going to be elevated into leadership in Colossae with sort of a sketchy history. And he's just coming into the Ephesian surroundings, trusting God with faith and loving people in front of him with faith. But then he goes on to say in verse 23, Peace be to the brothers, this is sort of the benediction, and love with faith. It's a curious statement. Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Well, why are we told to love with faith? How does faith connect to love? And why is that one of the last things that we are told to do from Ephesians? Well, I think it's a reminder that God's supernatural love doesn't come from us. That's literally what the first three chapters of Ephesians labored to tell us. This supernatural love doesn't come from us, it comes from God. And faith in the gospel, and I don't mean just faiths, Faith in the truths about Jesus. Personally trusting Jesus as Savior, King, and treasure of your life connects you to this indescribable and incorruptible love. Verse 23 says this love is from God, not from us, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 24 says this love that comes from God actually then becomes love in us for God, a love for Jesus. And this love is incorruptible. It's not our love. We're not creating it. We're not sustaining it. It is God's love itself, this eternal love, this incorruptible love. And how hopeful is this? If you turn from self and you trust in Jesus, that trust in Jesus, that turning, that surrender, that repentance, and that faith in Jesus— receives in your life, eternal life, and incorruptible love. You get both, all in one package. Everlasting life, incorruptible love. This is what he said in Ephesians 3. When Christ dwells in the heart through faith, we're rooted and grounded in love. So that's the reminder. Remember what Christ has accomplished. Remember all the promises that I've gone over through the majority of this book. Take that with you. Just remember everything that's been said in those first three chapters. Now earlier I mentioned that Isaiah 59 is the armor that is described that a Messiah King has made available to us. And here's what Isaiah 59 says. It's the last thing I'm going to share. Isaiah 59 says, when truth was lacking, the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation and his righteousness upheld it. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. This armor that the Messiah King put on is now available. To us. Now, how did it become available to us? It became available to us when he took it off at the cross. He chose a pierced side so that we could have his breastplate of righteousness. He took the crown of thorns so that we could wear his helmet of salvation. He covers us right now in his zeal and his love as a cloak because he went naked and bruised to the cross for us. That's the kind of incorruptible love that is available to us and that's the kind of protection available to us today. You're protected, you're covered in his love as a cloak as we leave here. Today. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to close with prayer. And I want to invite you to pray anything that the Holy Spirit leads you to pray. Let's pray in the Spirit. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to help us to pray. And I'm going to start praying. And then the band is going to come and they're going to sing. We're going to sing. They're going to lead us in A Mighty Fortress, which was a song that Martin Luther, who was running for his life, When he wrote the words of this song, he had to put on the full armor of God, had to love with faith in in his day. And we're gonna sing that to the Lord. But we pray with me. Holy Spirit, we invite your help now. Help us to pray as we ought to pray. Burden our hearts with what burdens yours. Lord, we invite your help to, to know how we're tempted. To know how we are accused, to know how we can sometimes give in to condemnation, and Lord, we confess that to you. We, we see that about our lives, and we don't want to run anymore in the wrong direction. We want to learn how to stand firm. Holy Spirit, help us to know where we need to stand, to, to know where we're being attacked, Help us to know what kind of armor we need to put on. Help us to know where we need to be careful because we're opening up something that the enemy wants to leverage in our lives. We need your mercy. Come, Holy Spirit, and help us to pray as we are. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.